So thank you guys for being here. And uh, Dan, good morning. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, Jason was so kind to remind me. He said, are, are you going to destroy anybody else's secret <laughs> birthday parties this year, this time? Uh, so I was like, there went my self-esteem. It's just trash. Uh, so, yeah, sanctification killer just happened. Only it wasn't very <laughs> passive. It wasn't a passive one. Yeah. So I was going to think about calling it covert sanctification killers because it's always working. There's always a tendency for us to be discontent, and discontentment is really a, a major issue. So what I did was I, um, I uh, made, I just, I'm trying to squeeze everything I can out of this. We have about 30 minutes to teach is about it. And uh, so I didn't want to jam everything down your throat at one time. And next week when Pastor Jeff's back, right? Next Sunday? Okay, so uh, pretend like this is a new topic. Okay, so we're going to do part five probably, maybe. If we can finish, we'll, we'll be fine. Turn to Philippians 4. Let's just start with this passage. <clears throat> and it's really the main, um, it would be the main text for discontentment. And there's a lot in this, and I'm going to kind of cover this next week. But I just wanted to start with it to kind of lay the groundwork for you. Philippians 4, 12. 12. I actually started in 11. I guess it is 11. I'm sorry. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation... I am to be content. Now, that's really the, the key focus there. That would be kind of the thesis statement of that old chapter, really, if you want to know about contentment. And it's interesting, and we're going to unpack this next week, but he talks about he learned in whatever situation to be content. That's something we really need to take time with so we can see that because it's not a magic trick. It's, it's just not a hand, secret handshake or some spiritual mystical thing that happens to make you content there is a a a journey that helps you with that Uh, the nlt says not that i was ever in need for i have learned how to be content in whatever i have and uh, that's just the nlt thought for thought um, translation but he was on verse 12 it says and i know how to be brought low i know how to bound in any in in any and every circumstance have learned the secret. Is it a secret? There must be a secret thing to it. The secret of, of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So when he says that, that's a, a fancy scripture thrown around like John 3.16. But it's in the context of this, and we'll see more again of that next week. 14, do all things without grumbling and disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you, sh- uh, whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So in the day of Christ, nice common term, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Verse 17, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also 
you also should uh, rejoice and be glad and you rejoice with me. So again, we're going to unpack this next week. And, um, and we learned that this, this whole issue of discontentment is serious. I don't know if you have really had a chance to really unpack that in your own heart or really inventory some of the stuff because you have to examine your own heart. You should be doing self-confrontation, self-examination. Some of the neat parts of Christianity is not just the external obedience of following a system um, and learning to do these things. Well, I did my Bible study. I must be fine. I did this. I must be fine. No, it's, it's the character quality that grows in you in the likeness of Christ. It's the deeper issues of how it changed your disposition. Disposition means everything. Um, and so, therefore, sometimes people lack a lot of knowledge. Even they're working on it. They're young. But you can see the disposition change. You can see the selflessness rather than selfishness. Um, and so, again, I think that this is really the core issue. I told you it's more the soil of the heart where discontentment comes from. And when you're squeezed what comes out of it kind of reveals the level of your spirituality. So, again, we, we have to take that uh, serious when we're really unpacking this. So what, what I want to do, I want to share a, one good point that helps you understand how do we get here? How did, how did discontentment happen so much and so fast? And I want to take you to the third chapter of Galatians to start with. Galatians 3 Go eat popcorn in the epistles, so it's the, the G's up front. Galatians up front. Galatians 3, and starting verse 1. Verse 1. I'm not sure if I put that on here or not. Yeah, I did. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed and crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, that you now perfected in the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you work miracles among you to do so by works of the law? Because fix perfectly in context with what pastor is going to teach. How many people are going to the second service? Yeah, well, you're going to really enjoy it. The second service, I mean, he, he knocks a home run on this uh, issue of the law versus grace. Very much important when you're a, a lawgiver, when, when you like rules, when, you're, when you abuse grace, um, you can find some real, I mean, he really did a great job on that. And he's saying the same thing here because we know eventually he goes on, and I think it's in chapter 5, that he says that the law was a schoolmaster to take us to grace. And he says, so just as Abraham believed in God, it was counted to him as righteousness. Now he's saying this, and so the point of this whole thing is they were uh, had Judaizers that slipped into the church in this time. So I'm going to take this out of context. And so the Judaizers, um, they were still trying to enforce the law as the way to be saved. They were still believing in circumcision. They were... But they were so eloquent, they were so, according to all the historians, they were really um, shining lights, very giving, kind, polite, very eloquent speakers. And since they were relatively still new, they put them in leadership. And in leadership, they started teaching, and a lot of these, most of these were not, guys were not saved. And so Paul's addressing this, saying, what are you guys, crazy? Uh, <laughs> you didn't get here by the law. 
and all of a sudden you are bewitched. And I think the point I want to bring is how is bewitching hurting us or promoting more discontentment? How much of your life are you bewitched? Um, and it's important because the main thing is here, he says, you, you, you foolish uh, Galatians, you know, who's, who bewitched you? And the word is connected to spellbinding, spellbinding. Uh, so you're believing something dangerous in your heart that leads you to sin. Now, there's a lot of things, a lot of things. You could be abusing um, grace by just being flipping about the law, flipping about your language, flipping about your studies, flipping about a lot of things, uh, taking advantage of the grace of God. So um, let's take a look and see what it says here. I think I started with an outline. Yeah. So um, we're just going to give you, well, I'll just talk about what this deception is in Galatians 3, one, how it affects us in discontentment. It's important. And then suggestions for developing commitment and then uh, contentment. And then we're going to go to homework and some reflection for change. Eventually, we're going to get there. So it's important that we have this, that we make, try to remember, uh, it's spiritual error that the, really the Galatians really made some mistakes. Laid hands on people too soon. We're bewitched by bad doctrine. Bewitched by listening to someone. And there was a lot of spiritual error in there. Uh, which really makes people foolish. So we make spiritual decisions um, in the absence of biblical guidance. I would say this is something you should write down. I think you should make a note of this. Almost all spiritual error comes from or when we make spiritual decisions in the absence of biblical guidance, we can look for error. When you make a spiritual decision in the absence of biblical guidance, you are going to be in error. And you're going to be bewitched. Because you're going to start believing something somebody told you. Well, somebody told me about that in the church years ago, and we did this years ago. But it never had any real context to the scripture, which we believe the scripture helps us see the truth. One thing I like about um, pastor in this TES environment is that they're driven, their doctrine's driven by the exegesis of the passage. It's actually the text that drives the doctrine. And so to me, it's the safest way to help that. Other times, it's usually just a religious protocol. You get somebody to come in, he's got an idea, some of that stuff's flashy or helpful, but um, in this way, we have to understand that that we're going to have error whenever we make spiritual decisions in the absence of biblical guidance. Let's just go through a couple of these. Um, deception, a believer should be intentional in correcting the error of your life. Now, once we get there, you'll see some of this, how it connects to what I was believing and what I expected that got me to, got me to the place of being discontent, grumbling, complaining. So error makes a person foolish, we know that. And that's different than being a fool. There's two different words used in the scripture, but to be foolish is, is to be duped, really. Uh, error also deceives a person. Whenever you have error, you're going to have deception involved in that. Some people will believe it, some won't. That's why they're sort of slow in letting a person teach until they see that they're teaching accurately. Now, you just say, well, I got 80, 80% of it right. I know, but it's the 20% that does the damage. 20% does the damage. It just seems like, the flesh, the spirit of this world, and your bad teaching 
could solidify some error in your life that could cause uh, bad expectations. Well, why would God do this? Why would God allow that? Well, how come we're not doing this? And why aren't we doing that? And it goes on and on. People, and that usually comes from bad teaching. It promotes disobedience, of course, um, when you have error, and can lead a believer away from Christ eventually. Just a small one. Remember, the devil doesn't always break the truth. He bends it. He likes to bend the truth. So it looks like you're going west, but eventually you're going south. <laughs> so you have to be careful that, you know, bending the truth is, is dangerous as well. That's why we guard the truth. We correct each other a lot uh, in the elders' meetings with, with the word constantly. Is that what it really means? Is that what it was saying? Uh, it's good to remember that you can expect spiritual error when we make spiritual decisions in the absence of biblical guidance. I just told you that. So it's a good thing to remember that. Also, so bewitched is defined as a passive but intentional work. Try to remember because there are areas in your life you're being bewitched or you could be subject to being spellbound. Spellbinding, that's why uh, the guy um, in Texas, Joel Stein, is so effective. He's very effective and has a very large following. Why? Because... People are religious, they have a religious system, and they're expecting some spiritual things to happen to them, and he sells them a lot. He's very good salesman, very eloquent, similar to those Judaizers. And uh, so it's a passive but intentional work to attract or and or interest someone excessively. It means it's repetitive works. Watching Joel seem one time to see how crazy it is, probably not going to hurt you. But repetitively, it's, it, could, it could help. Influence is a two-way street, and you got to be careful what you do repetitively. Reading bad books all the time with bad doctrine in it, when most of you are, you're not used to spitting out of the bones on bad doctrine, is very dangerous. Now, this all connects to what we expect is why we're so discontent. So, uh, so that they will have the power to influence them in order to what? Ultimately control them. That's what's so bad about being bewitched is uh, eventually people are bewitched when they're finally people are controlled and they want you to fit into a line. They want you to wear the text. That's why pastor says we don't have authority. Pastors don't have authority here. The word of God has the authority. We're the shepherds and leading and stuff like that, but the the word of God has the authority. Some people want the authority. Uh, There was a church in uh, Kirksville that we, in the neighborhood where we were pastoring there. And... uh, the pastors there would seem like a really organized church. People really love that church. But you had to go to the pastor even to buy a car. You know, buy a home, buy a car. Is it going to be good for the church? Is that really what you want to do? And they were really big about controlling everything. Well, they, mis- they misused the scripture. They twisted it, and they became the authority rather than the scripture having the authority. You never see Pastor Brian, you know, flexing authority outside the scripture. You never will. Um, here's areas of influence that we really have to consider. Uh, the world. This is what's affecting your life and heart. This is where the bewitching and spellbinding happens. Um, and we can see here the world, First John. Somebody look up First John 2 for me, 14 and 15. It should be a pretty common passage, but it's good for us to hear the word as it's being preached. First John 2, 14 and 15.
Please. First John 2, 14 and 15. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things of the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. See, that's a very, the affections of our heart are, are, seems to be the portal into those areas that are dangerous into what we're contemplating and pondering on. And then all of a sudden we build desires there. We start, we have a, we sort of have a dream system in our heart. And we say, well, this would be perfect. This would be a perfect church, perfect spouse, perfect everything. We have this idea that's resonating in our heart. And basically it's, it's, it's spellbinding. Because we're listening first to the world. What are some of the things in the world that says uh, you have rights? What are some of the rights that the world keeps? They, they have this constant mantra of you have rights. What are some of the rights that we have, the world wants us to have? Yep. Sexual freedom. Sexual freedom. Absolutely. Absolutely. They want to, in fact, they even change the, the idea of, of marriage just to give us more, like, take the walls down so there's a, there's a more openness to sexuality. In fact, we have a right to that. A lot of times uh, in court now, uh, people are sued because they've been a, a affection, of, alienation of affection and stuff like that. There's always this, this idea of uh, rights to their sexuality. I think John MacArthur said that about the homosexual movement. That really the idea, or really abortion. He said about abortion. He said really abortion is I have a right to my sexuality and children get in the way of that. Um, and that's really the lower, that's really the underlying sort of um, message that they're trying to promote. Yeah, amen, our sexuality. How about other rights? Anything else? Be happy. Yeah, to be happy. Yep, you have a right to be happy. You can see it in all the other counseling models as well because <coughs> number one thing that they're focused on is your happiness, and that seems to be the pain. You go to the doctor and say, my shoulder hurts, or it hurts right here and their concentrations right there, what's causing this pain? Uh, in behavioral sciences, the, this, the professionals, they say the same thing. What is making you happy? Well, this makes me unhappy. This spouse, this thing, that, that, that church, my friend, my parents um, make me unhappy. Uh, quick testimony. My sister-in-law um, went to her psychotherapist, spent in, in the 90s, $27,000 a year to her psychotherapist after insurance, and um, and convinced her to go to court and divorce her parents. That's a that's a part of pain of your life. So we got to you got to you got to get it rid of it. It's a radical amputation, if you will, of just anything that causes you pain. And you'll see the psychological uh, thing about boundaries, trying to protect you from you know being so you're not unhappy. Uh, protect you from the conflicts. We make boundaries. That's not a biblical. That's not a biblical message. It's not a biblical doctrine. The world has a lot of things about our happiness. Is number one. If you're not happy, uh, if mom's not happy, I forgot the rest of that. No one's happy. No one's happy. I just wanted to hear him say that. That's all. Okay. Any other rights? What are some common rights? Come on. Yes, that's a big one recently, isn't it? Truth is defined to whatever I say it is. 
Whatever I think, whatever I believe is truth. And they want to elevate that to the truth in the scripture. Are you kidding me? Christ and his word. And so we are blown away by it, but it, it wasn't something that was that just happened. It's been brewing. There's been some bewitching by other bad doctrine, and most of it's been in school. You know, it's, uh, even in the Civil War, what they did was they, they said, well, first thing we got to build are schools. So we got to indoctrinate these people. And so we, they start building schools. First, schools are the target of, of people who want to destroy the generation that believe the Bible. Believe me, that's where it's at. That's why our governor, this new governor, um, you know, he said school, even liberals rose up and said, well, this is too much. This, you know, CRT, all this stuff they're teaching in school uh, is crazy. And then now even Fox even said that they're getting, getting around that through kind of repackaging him, you know, but they still want this. Their, their number one goal in life is to teach kids that they have all kinds of sexual freedoms. They can have any gender they want and to help them promote this freedom and the sexuality and their rights. Rights are tough. Sometimes you can hear that. people. You can hear the world because, remember, it's a tsunami of thinking in the world. The world's influence is constantly against you like, like gamma rays. You just don't dodge that. It just happens over and over again. You hear it on television, the radio. You hear people talking. You know, you're around this. You go to work. You're around the world constantly. They have a message. And we are typically bewitched at some level, at some level. When... Especially when you're talking about feminists, feminists that came into the church and feminism is growing in the church where now it's like you're really a bad Baptist if you like complementarianism because women should be preaching in the pulpit because that's the common way of doing that. And to, to please the world and to please Christendom, if you will, people started doing it. Um, they started, some of the bigger Baptist churches started bringing in First lady teachers, we went to uh, one conference where a lady, they said, so I'm just going to give a testimony. And she got up there and she handed out papers and she was exegeting passages for us. And she was telling us what the Hebrew and the Greek meant. And she was going through this thing and she, was, she had a message in three points. And Cindy Barton Miller, we got up and just walked out. And we were like in the second row. So it was pretty obvious, you know, that I moved like an eclipse across <laughs> the sanctuary. And, uh, man. I mean, it took me a while to get out of there, but it was like, wow, this, the big guy was not happy. The big guy was not happy. I'm telling you what, it's a, it's a, it's a terrible influence. What is influencing you to respond to life the way you respond? I mean, somebody should say that. Somebody should be thinking that. Somebody should be addressing that. Why have I been so self-centered that it's got to be my way and what I think is right? It's... There's rights there. What's the difference between that and entitlements? What are you entitled to in the world? I know we, they're almost cross in the same area, but what are we entitled to? Anybody? Respect. Yeah, that's good. That's very good, Rick, because it is. It's true. That above all things, you should be, they should be respectful. I mean, we deserve, what we deserve is respect. Yeah. Now, is, is it wrong? No, we, we have to respect, honor one another. We love one another. I see that. But when it comes to an entitle, entitlement, that's, it's causing deeper problems. Whenever it's not acting out of the scripture and out of love and out of the character of Jesus Christ, then it becomes your own personal doctrine that you're going to try to force in there. 
and you have to be careful about that. Entitlements as well. In fact, these are two of the five things I think it is that Dr. Mark Shaw put in his book on how to addiction-proof your children. Can you believe that? I mean, that book used to just fly off the shelf. He made a lot of money on that. And I call him, I said, Mark, man, I can't. I mean, you wrote his his opus magnum, his book of his life was the heart of addiction, you know. And it it flopped. I just want to put that on there. Casey hears it. He knows. I'm just kidding. But that book was a screaming machine. Because I don't want my kids growing up to be an addiction. He said, well, I can, you can as a Christian addiction-proof your children. i got to have that book. And then I never could keep them. They sold like crazy. And really, when he got down in there, it says, stop raising your children with rights and entitlements. They're entitled to this, entitled to that, and they have rights to this and right to that. They're making decisions in the family, and it's, they're, they're working outside the realm. And you're, you're feeding this, this machine. And because what he did was he took 20 years of his ministry, and he interviewed exclusively all the people who were drug addicts, drunks, and porn addicts, and he came to this whole issue. The reason they were functioning all this, they were some of the core issues they believed. They were, belie- they were working out of these things that I'm entitled to this, I'm entitled to that. And it became uh, problematic. And he's like, there's some other ones you have to read the book. I can't give you all of them. But uh, it's really good, and people need to start early, and their, their training is to bring them up the way the Lord wants you to bring them up. And the other one, the other mantra thing is everybody should love things, and you're measured in this world by what you have, what car you drive or what, what money you have or what job you have. And it's, it's sad because, I mean, if technology goes down, if we have a world war that we're subject to having, you know, who knows? I don't know what's going to happen, but it doesn't look good, does it, in our economy, in our, our country? Well, those who have skills that they can work with their hands are going to be the ones that are going to be the richest. They're going to be the people who are going to be, because all of our investments, all of our things are, are going to crumble on people who can work, mechanics and plumbers and carpenters and all these people who work with their hands are crazy. I, I even see when Donnie Lax has a, a master mechanic there at $80 an hour. He said, I have to because that's the rate for a master mechanic because there's so many computer parts generated in cars that it's, it's more of a technical job now, but it's not just a mechanic job, but it's a technical thing. The world says you need to love things. Now, when it keeps hearing this over and over again, we're mesmerized by this thing. And then we're saying, well, I'm a human. And Paul said, you know, I'm a Roman. I get the things of Rome. And I can justify a lot of things in my heart about it. And we start working in our own minds on these things. Don't love anything. Don't love the world or anything in the world. I'm telling you, it's, it's affecting you. It's trickling down and you're trying to Stop it, stop it, stop it. When the really things happen uh, in your heart and you have a way to express that or when pressure comes, how you respond to that is tell you what is that, the, either the residual, residual part of that or what has permeated your heart will come up. Now, let me just say one little disclaimer here. So if you're in a bad position and you don't feel like you have a voice, um, you, you should know that, that you're supposed to confront your brother. You know, if you see your brother in sin, you go to him. If you have a problem with him, you speak to them. You have, you have open communication at some level for you to, you don't just have to cow down and be a, a doormat for anybody. 
You have to be able to communicate that. Now, sometimes you're living in an unequally yoked relationship, and you're just there as a servant, and you might be taken advantage of. But remember, it doesn't mean you can't confront. I remember when we were in uh, Summit Woods in Kansas City, um, we used to kid around. I was with Cindy. We were one day, and she was like, I kept saying, hey, if you don't start making dinner when I tell you to, I'm going to bring the elders in. I know it was dumb. I was probably, I think I was taking a lot of cough medicine then. I'm not really sure. But I'm not sure. I'm just saying. I think CBD oil fell on me. So I don't know what happened. But I said, so, and we were all laughing about it. She said, yeah, yeah, bring them in. I'd like to talk to them. You know, I was like, no, 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 I'm just kidding. It was just a joke, you know. Well, one day we were talking about that in our own living room in Belton, which is in South Kansas City. And uh, we were standing in the living room. We see a car pull up, and we, we only have one African-American uh, elder. And he and his wife pull up in front of my house. And I looked at her, and I said, you didn't. <laughs> she goes, I didn't want. And I said, you called him. He's coming. And he came over, and he was just in the area making a visit. He just wanted to come by and say hi. And, I mean, it was perfect timing. It really humbled me. And they just laughed and talked about it uh, from the pulpit. And it's like, yeah, we finally got Mark. You know, he really bit off more than he can chew and blah, blah, blah. It was, it was not a good joke. But anyway, it was. Uh, <laughs> but the point is, you do. The thing is, it can happen that way. If you're, like in my case, if I'm being unreasonable with Cindy, she can take me to the elders. She can say, I'd, I'd want your permission to take you to the elders and talk this through. You know, this is this seems like it's unbiblical. It seems like it's. It's not loving and kind, so I'd like to take you to the elders and talk about it. And so that's the same thing when a, when a husband, his wife's being unruly and won't be submissive, and, and it's problematic, and they've already talked through, and she just won't submit. And, you know, he has a right to say, I could be missing something here, so can we go to the pastor, can we go to the elders, and let's talk about it. You have a way to at least understand where it's at, and once you realize what's going on, then you're you're submissive, and then you... Just say, you're right, or you confess that you're wrong, and the other person forgives, and you move on. But you're not stuck. Just because you're stuck doesn't mean you're, you're going to have discontent because you're rattled. If your cage is rattled in discontentment, sometimes you need to go talk it out with somebody and, and see what's going on. I'm not advocating counseling, but you need to at least uh, appeal to your spouse and then go to the pastor or elder and see um, what they can do to help you. So I think that is an appropriate thing to do. There's some other one that we're listening to. And it's just uh, the area of influence. We have the world, and then we have the second one, which is listening to self, which is the bigger problem. It's the bigger problem. Your heart is always saying, I want, I want, I want. And, uh, and when it says, I want, I want, I want, it's always reverberating its desires, James says. The desires are always reverberating in your heart, part of the fallen man. And in the absence of truth, that sort of sedates it or at least controls that, um, you will always be, have a propensity to be more in the flesh. And so when you're, when you're doing all kinds of religious stuff, but you're not investing the word of God in your heart, you're going to find that you're going to have problems in this area of listening to yourself. Uh, self-fulfilling desires. Um, so... I'm just telling you that these desires for like sexuality or the pornography is problematic even uh, even apart from a bad relationship, a good relationship. Uh, there are people I help that have fantastic relationships and they still 
have problems in pornography. Why? Because it's a desire problem. Some, there's a loose wire. There's something going on in your heart that's saying, hey, I need to fulfill this. I mean, had a, uh, one guy even said to me, only reason I did all this stuff, and you don't know him, he said was because, uh, because I never got to do that much good sin before I was saved. Now, that, that wasn't an abstract thinking. That was a, an idea that he was working through in his heart, and that became a truth, and then it became an entitlement, and then he had to wait for the right moment to act on it. Your desires, that the Spirit of God is so strong, he can trump even your, I like the word trump, he can trump even your, even your um, um, hormones that are saying, I want more, I want more. How do these young men stay pure? They stay pure because they stay focused on what is true. And then it's being born again. The Spirit of God has more power. Pastor, we're going to talk about that today, about the Spirit and, and grace. And you're going to see that today is the same thing. How do we fight sin where the law is, uh, is used a lot and it's, there's rules? He's saying, well, grace abounds. So, again, um, self-fulfilling desires. Um, self-centered choices is another place, self-centered choices. Now, self-centered choices, another thing is that we're in the habit of making choices that are that you know are against the Scripture. You know that they're against the Scripture. And 1 Corinthians 8, 1 Corinthians 6, and 1 Corinthians 10 all talk about three principles that can help you understand the principles of Scripture where there's no clear commandment of Scripture. But the truth is, we make choices. What are some of the choices you're making that have, they may not have an immediate effect, but by getting away with it, your heart is constantly reverberating. I want, I want, and desire. Again, it's listening to ourselves, and it's we're being bewitched by some of this stuff. And the last one is self-promotion, actions. And so what are we doing there? We're, we're making sure that we're in the light, make sure that that's what's so bad about public ministry, so bad about the more public you are, the more desire to have, to have position, status. You know, that's the danger. You don't hear a lot of these guys who have doctor's degrees who throw that around, their education. It's because it really doesn't mean that much, to be honest with you. It doesn't have a direct correlation between your character. If it had a direct correlation to your character, then everybody should be in the D-Men program. But it doesn't. It doesn't. It's just another status quo that you have to go through in order to have some credibility and, and with the saints, who are most, really, most of them are weak. Most of them are weak. And so we have self-fulfillment desires, self-centered choices, self-promoted actions in our life. All that just to say that we're being inundated by a thought that's covert, that's helping you become more rights and entitlement focused. I'm entitled to this. I'm entitled to that. And it's not a heart of love. Love is the key. Love is the key in the issue, isn't it? What I'm about to say is it loving and kind. Not whether it's right or wrong. That's not the first thing. First thing is, is it loving and kind? Then right or wrong comes up. I'm going to end with this one passage. Turn to Hebrews 5 and we're going to pray. Hebrews 5. Somebody read 14, verse 14. 
Where? Yep. Okay. Somebody read another version. Good. Thank you. Hey, I'm just I'm I'm enjoying it. That was good. Who has another version? It's good. Your solid food is for the mature. Who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good. Yes, practice. Sorry, that was my version. <laughs> they practice these things. They're, they're, understand, maturity comes by practicing, responding to life, trusting God, obeying God. You practice these over and over again, and they will give you the discernment to know good and evil. Amen? Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for our time. Thank you for Brian's message today and how it's going to impact us. Thank you for delivering him and helping him and healing him today. And uh, we pray for all the saints in here. Father, maybe we be serious and open and honest about our own secret parts of our life. Change us for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.